The NBA is making what looks like to be quick work of these first round series as we hope for wins in LA and Miami this evening. Will there be any drama this week as we keep our fingers crossed for some length before the second round arrives? The same can be said in the NHL as the Bruins are a game away from advancing while the Islanders are on the brink and a classic series is brewing between the Kings and Oilers out west. Break up the Pirates as they are in first place in the NL Central. Sadly, that comes with a caveat. And the Astros may have shaken the dreaded early season World Series hangover with a sweep in Atlanta. The NFL Draft is Thursday, but could all the thunder be taken away by two quarterbacks looking for new addresses? Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia was supposed to be the fight that saves boxing on Saturday night. I'll beg to differ as there was a lot more to be desired. I'm ready to share all of my thoughts on the above as April is starting to make his way off of our consciousness. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The final week of April is here. Can we please slow down the hourglass of time? Geez, we're already a month away from Memorial Day, and before you know it, we'll be talking training camp in the NFL. Now, the month may be coming to a close, but the beginning of another fun-filled, rapid-fire podcast awaits as I cram in all of what the sports world has given us over the past few days, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday... I welcome you guys and gals back, and as we get deeper into the month, just the final week as I mentioned, May is a week from today, May 1st, so yes, get ready people, because from this point on, the playoff season in both the NBA and NHL will start to get into a different stratosphere as the second round draws near, and it looks like it's actually going to be a little bit closer than we expected or even imagined considering that the NBA is now taking a turn and we have to hope for tonight with the two games in Miami between the Bucks and Heat and in LA where the Grizzlies and Lakers will square off both in games four. And what we've seen here to date with the series, and let's just trim the fat to get to the 
real meat and potatoes of what's taken place over the last few days. The Sixers, as we saw in a sweep over the Brooklyn Nets there on Saturday, no contest. And sad to say, we'll get to the Nets in a second. But the one thing that the Sixer fan is going to have to really hold their breath and be on pins and needles is the health of a one Joel Embiid as he sprained his right knee and who knows what his status is going to be moving forward. Now, lucky for them that they got the sweep out of the way. Chances are, maybe a week until another game is going to be played, maybe even eight days because with the way the schedule is going to fall and with the Celtics now just one game away from clinching their series against Atlanta, All that the Sixers need is, I'm not going to go as far as saying a miracle, but they're going to keep their fingers crossed and pray to the basketball gods that Embiid could be close to 100% when they resume their playoffs in the second round. I would think maybe as early as Sunday, but probably, I would think, a week from today. Now with the Sixers, you only hope that they could build on this momentum. We understand when you get a week off from the NBA There's going to be a lot of time, a lot of practices. Yes, it's good for the body to mend, but we don't know what the rust factor may be as far as sitting out for a week at least. And with Embiid trying to get himself back into not only just game shape, but to get that knee stabilized and for him to be at his 100% full and all-out best, this is going to be the big question for Philadelphia, not knowing where their opponent is going to be. Chances are it's going to be the Celtics, but and they'll have to do it on the road. But when we see what's going to happen with Embiid over the course of the next week, that's going to be the big question, not only just in Philadelphia, but throughout the sport. And then you have the Brooklyn Nets, where here they are at the beginning of the year. I picked them to go to an NBA final. And at this moment, they are on vacation somewhere in the Caribbean or maybe even beyond. And it's just a shame to know that this organization is going to have a lot to really go through this offseason because this was an organization that had championship or bust back in September and October. And as we all know, with the way the season had unfolded, the 27-13 and 13 start, then Kyrie Irving requesting a trade out of Brooklyn because of his contract status. As we all know, he's going to be a free agent here at the end of this NBA postseason. And for... Him to be traded to Dallas on top of that where Kevin Durant, who already had, if you recall, a trade request last summer, rescinded that and regrouped to get himself in shape and ready to go for a long NBA season. And even after that 27-13 and 13 start and with Kyrie jettisoned to Dallas, he decided that he wanted out and went to Phoenix where the Nets got back a surplus of players and some picks. But at this very moment, not only did they get swept out of the postseason, But now there are losers of 10 straight in the playoffs dating back two years ago when they lost those last two games to the Bucs. And I'm sure the Net fan, that's going to stick in their craw until they get even close to a championship caliber team. The toe of Kevin Durant on the three-point line that sent the game into overtime before the Bucs won. And then, of course, they lost game six in Milwaukee, followed by the sweep last year, Celtics over the Nets, and then the sweep here with the Sixers as they were 0-8 against Philadelphia this 2022-2023 season. Tons of questions to be abound there in Brooklyn. A season that could have been, should have been, and just bottomed out. And now they have to pick up the pieces and see which direction that they want to go moving forward 
in what's a very top-heavy and competitive Eastern Conference. And as far as the Celtics, they took a 3-1 series lead last night where they were pretty much in control. I know Atlanta threatened late, but not enough to make you sweat there, Celtic fans, after losing there on Friday night. And now with just one game away from that next round, as I mentioned with a matchup against Philadelphia, they could close out their series tomorrow night at home in which you think they would do so. And they may do it, the Hawks that is, without Deontay Murray, who had a run-in with an official at the end of the game where not only did he bump him, but it looked like he was a little bit demonstrative and upset with something that had taken place on the court as they walked off and into the night. So Murray may face some action here. I don't know if it's going to be a suspension. Chances are it may be. You cannot bump an official in any way, shape, or form. And Murray, who had a very good game there last night, on top of what Trey Young did, and to have him out of the lineup will be huge. Having to win a critical and life-saving game on the road in Boston, where they, of course, lost the first two games there. So the Celtics will see if they can make quick work out of Atlanta there tomorrow night. The other series that has me surprised is the Knicks and Cavs. And Friday night's game was a throwback to the 90s Knicks teams of Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, and John Starks, where they held the Hawks to 79 points. Donovan Mitchell, other than the one game, has been an absolute ghost in this series. Give it up to the Knicks defense for trying to slow him down and thwart any possibility for him trying to wreck the game. And the Knicks held serve at home, not only with a 20-point victory there on Friday night, but yesterday, even with a big comeback in the third quarter by the Cavaliers and Darius Garland, who had had a terrible series other than the one game in Game 2, had only two points in the first half and then came alive there in that third quarter, but then ran out of gas in the fourth. Knicks and the Garden took over. So now they're up 3-1 in their best-of-seven series, which will continue there Wednesday night in Cleveland. So the Cavs, who have had no answers... For the Knicks here. And they have a do or die game in their building. I could see them winning that. And what's going to be huge is the game six back at the Garden. Because the Knicks want to continue to build on this momentum. I'm sure they're going to want to close the game out in Cleveland on Wednesday night. But you would think once the scene will shift. If it does happen to go six games. They're going to want to just put the clamps down. And end that series right then and there. And not have to go back to Cleveland for a game seven. That's the last thing I'm sure any Knicks fan and, of course, the Knicks themselves will want to have to experience. I'll save the other series in the East, Miami and Milwaukee, for a little bit later on as I turn my attention to the Western Conference. The T-Wolves save face and show some pride as they won last night against the Denver Nuggets. They were in an 0-3 hole. All right, they showed up, played with some pride, like I mentioned. Anthony Edwards said they weren't going to go out like that, which was good for them. Not to say that that's going to bring them back into the series because now that they'll shift the scene to Denver, chances are that that's where they'll be put out the pasture. So we'll have to wait and see there. But you would think that series is going to be a foregone conclusion as Denver will move on to the next round. And chances are they're going to face the Phoenix Suns, which would be very competitive and not to look that far ahead, but the Phoenix Suns have done very well here. Now, granted, the series has been killed by no Kawhi Leonard. Let's start there because at least with him in the lineup, we would have had probably a little bit more competitive games. And to think even with the big game that you saw there a few nights ago by Norman Powell scoring 45, it still wasn't enough. Russell Westbrook has had a revival here in this postseason as he's put up some big numbers despite the fact game one he was three for 19. 
But who knows? Is he trying to show out and show up for a possible last final contract? Not that he's going to get a major extension or anything that's going to be breaking the bank. But for Westbrook, who has really re-upped his value here over the course of these last three games, but certainly not enough as the Suns have really played well and have gelled at the right time. Devin Booker has had a phenomenal series after that first game. Even Chris Paul broke out in a big game four as he made a big contribution and even said that he has not played with talent like this throughout his entire career. So the Suns are just one win away from advancing and playing the Nuggets in the next round, which would be fascinating to say the least, but we'll wait till we get there. And the Clippers, you have to wonder. Kawhi Leonard, now this is the knee that has not been surgically repaired, the ACL that he tore in the postseason a couple of years back against the Jazz. And for him to not be in the lineup, and I get it, he's hurt. He's not going to be able to perform. You have to wonder whether or not his status for Game 5, is he even going to make an attempt to come back? You would think that he would at least try to save their season in any way, shape, or form. Give them 10-15 minutes. But with this thing with Kawhi, and we all know that it's been nothing but load management. He's the poster boy for that. But then now, you got to wonder, here's where the issue could lie where he's had all these games in between the regular season, and now that he has to ramp it up for the postseason, where he contributed 38 in the game one, and then game two, where he re-aggravated or suffered this knee injury, and then now he does not have a two or three day turnaround where he could just kick back and rest. Now it gets to a point where, even though the playoffs, especially in this first round, is every other day or every other couple of days, and for him not to be able to respond, or at least his body for that matter, in a way where he can come back into the lineup and can get back on the court. And now you have a scenario where his body is now thinking it's the regular season when in actuality it's the postseason. Now that's just from afar. That's just my assessment. And if he's hurt and he can't play, he can't play. And I understand he's going to look out for his interest, his health first and foremost. But now with the season on the brink, you got to wonder whether or not he's going to give it a go here. And if he doesn't, Does that raise an eyebrow or question marks for this guy? It has to. Because you're paying him a king's ransom of money. You brought him here to win a championship. Granted, that's not going to happen this year. But you have to wonder about this guy moving forward. Whether or not with the load management or even more so when you get to the playoffs, can you 100% trust him and his health to get this team and this organization to places that they have never been to and that's going to and winning an NBA final so that's one thing for the Clipper fan out there the 40 of you have to really digest and regurgitate on whether or not this guy is going to be the one that's going to carry the mail when it's all said and done now we've seen him do it in the past and I get that San Antonio the one year in Toronto understood can't knock it but now that he's been in LA and he's suffered these injuries over the last couple of years I am highly dubious as to whether or not he's going to be the guy that's going to win a third title with a third different team throughout the course of his NBA career. Then you have Golden State and Sacramento as that series is now deadlocked 2-2 and that's the only series that's even where the Kings had that 2-0 series lead and then even with Draymond Green being suspended and out for Game 3, you knew that the Warriors were going to respond and they did so in a big way. And then yesterday afternoon was a game where you thought that if 
for whatever the reason, Steph Curry, who did his best Chris Webber impersonation of the 93 national championship game between Michigan and North Carolina, where he called a timeout. Now, granted, it was with 42 seconds left and the Warriors are up by five. But I understand that it gave Malik Monk an opportunity to drain a technical foul or free throw because of the technical foul on the timeout that Steph Curry called. And it's the non-timeout because the Warriors were out of timeouts at that time. And why he forgot or didn't even think that there were no timeouts, that's all on him. I get it. You could turn to Steve Kerr and the coaching staff to think that, hey, they need to address that to the players prior to getting back on the court. But Curry, as we all know, he's been in the league, what, 12, 13 years. He should know better. And for him to have brain lock at that moment, granted that it was a five-point lead. It wasn't as if it was tied or maybe they were down by one to where that happened and then the Kings took over. But as it was, it was Harry down the stretch where De'Aaron Fox hits a three to cut the lead to one. And then Harrison Barnes, the former Golden State Warrior, had a shot to win the game as all the Warrior fans in the Bay Area held their collective breaths. But as he missed... And the Warriors were able to celebrate and exhale with a 126-125 win. What does this do for the rest of the series? The Warriors have to win a road game. And if they're ready to move on and try to get back to their building with a game six to see if they can advance, they have to win game six. Could they win a game seven? Of course they can. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. But I would think for this Warrior team who's been awful on the road, and even though all the momentum is back in the Warrior locker room, but I could see Sacramento having to digest these last two losses and going back into their building, their friendly confines, and I wouldn't be surprised if they try to run the Warriors out of the gym. So therefore, I think it's going to be a tall order for Golden State. And of course they can win the game based on their pedigree, track record, defending champ. Understood. But this is going to be a seven-game series. I said this from the outset, and why not? I could see this when it's all said and done being 3-3 with a game seven. I guess that would be what? Saturday night from here on out, or maybe even Sunday. I haven't checked the schedule that far down. I figure once we get to Thursday, we'll have a better view as to where this series is going to go. But at least we have some intrigue there in the Western Conference because the other series, and I'll get to that right this very second, is the Laker-Grizzly series. Now, we know that the Grizzlies were able to even up that series there. We talked about it on Thursday. And then on Saturday night, you had the antics of Dylan Brooks. And even though John Moran tried to single-handedly, as he scored 22 straight fourth-quarter points, but it was not enough as they dug themselves a big hole. They were down 35-9 to at the end of the first quarter. And as much as they try to climb out of that and try to cut the deficit to single digits, it was not enough as the Lakers were able to prevail and take a 2-1 series lead. And then back to Dylan Brooks as the start of the third quarter, trying to lunge for a ball that LeBron James bringing up the court. He, for whatever the reason, tries to attack the ball between the legs of LeBron James where it hits him right in the groin, if you know what I mean. James hits the floor and... I'm sure a lot of people at first thought it was a flop, but that was gamesmanship on Brooks's part. And Brooks, I get it that he's going to look at himself like, why am I the villain? All of a sudden, my reputation is now going to supersede the things that I do as far as suspensions, as far as fines, as far as ejections, where, of course, he was ejected from the game at that point. And Brooks, 
He's a good player. I'll give him that. Good defensively. He chirps more than he should. And I get it. That's part of his shtick. You have players throughout the course of time that are going to be more bark than bite. And for whatever he thinks, he could try to get into the head of LeBron, calling him old and saying whatever he's going to say. But remember, years ago in those Indiana-Miami series where Lance Stevenson tried to get into the head of LeBron, blowing into his ear and all that, you think that's going to phase LeBron? And even LeBron wasn't going to be baited in the press conferences talking about, no, this is not a statement game. I don't make statements, blah, blah, blah. I let my talking on the court. So Dylan Brooks leads to layoff. And I get it. It's going to be hard to unplug him because that's how he's wired. But for the Memphis Grizzlies, who are now, to me, at the brink. Because as I talked about this going back a couple of months ago with the whole John Morant video and not to go down that road. But Taylor Jenkins, the coach of the team, really has to corral his crew to say, we have to come out of this game with a win. That's not to say they can't come back from a 3-1 deficit, but with an older veteran team, as long as they stay healthy, and that being the Lakers, the Grizzlies are not going to survive this if they do not come out of LA tonight with a win. So for John Morant, with the 45-point game and the 22 consecutive points, I know the hand, he says that, yes, it's bothering him a little bit, but he's soldiering through, and good for him, showing some toughness on his end. But for the Grizzlies, to me, they are at that point where they're staring into the oblivion of their season if they do not come out victorious tonight in LA. And that's all there is to it. So we will see how that shakes down. And then lastly in the East with Miami and Milwaukee, who knows what the status is going to be of Giannis. And this is going to be a big game for the Bucks. Even without Giannis, I would think that they would find a way to win this game tonight. But who knows, is Giannis going to be anything close to, I'm not even going to say 100%. How about 75%? Because even if he only plays 20 some odd minutes or even less than that, just his presence, just him being on the floor, I get it, he can't do the things that he could do, run up and down, high flying, dunking, trying to attack the basket at will. But anything that he could give them to try to give his team a boost, anything, For them not to go back to Milwaukee down 3-1 because Jimmy Butler's had a very good series here to date as he's showing his leadership and his toughness and his ability to try to will his team to victory. And you would think the Heat, they're going to stick to that script. That's pretty much part of their DNA. They do not have a lot of flashy players, not a lot of superstars. It's all a collective unit. And I'm sure they're going to hammer that message home if they haven't been doing so already that let's try to get out of here with another win to yes, Close it out in game five in Milwaukee, but if not, at least we could come back home to see if we could dethrone the one seed in the Milwaukee Bucks in a game six. But as it is, I think even with Giannis out, they could win this game tonight. But I would like to see Giannis get on that court, and I get it. Backs are cranky. They're very unpredictable, as I talked about on Thursday. But these two games tonight, could really shape up the rest of this first round because if you do have both of these series go 2-2, then you're going to have obviously minimum six-game series and maybe even a seventh to go along with Sacramento and Golden State. If any one of these two come out 3-1 or worse, both 3-1, then you have a disaster here in this first round, which is usually the case with the NBA. So let's hope that both Memphis and Milwaukee could prevail here when it's all said and done by, I would think, 12.30 or if not 1 a.m. Eastern Time this night and early tomorrow morning. 
because I want to see some length. I want to see some drama. And what we've seen so far in this NBA first round is anything but that. Yeah, I get it. You got a little bit with Golden State Sacramento. And now we're going to get to see tonight with the two seed in Memphis and the one seed in Milwaukee try to avoid a commanding 3-1 series deficit. But yes, the NBA needs, and I mean it, underline, needs some drama here. And the only way they're going to get that is if both teams at least come out 2-2, both Memphis and Milwaukee with wins tonight. All right, now let me lace up my skates and go through the NHL as the first week has come to a conclusion. And now, as we get to the second week, now mind you, you have four games tonight, which are all at 2-1 series deficits. So unlike the NBA, where we just talked about all those 3-1 deficits and a lack of drama, let's see what we get out of tonight because right at the very moment, you have two series that could go at least six games and then we will break down tonight's matchups and a couple of big ones at that. In particular, with Tampa and Toronto, which I'll get to in a minute. But as far as yesterday, the two things that I have to bring up, or three things. Number one is the Bruins. They bounced back nicely after that putrid loss at home in game two. And for them, that probably was their worst game of the year. And who knows if maybe the Bruins were facing a little bit of pressure. But as we all know, they beat themselves in that game. That was one that, as I mentioned then, to just throw in the toilet, flush it, and forget about it. And what they did in winning back-to-back games, 4-2, and then yesterday, 6-2 down in South Florida, to where even Linus Olmark, the goalie, was trying to go at it with Matthew Kachuk there toward the end of the game yesterday. And the Bruins have certainly gotten to the heads of the Panthers, where they were hoping to at least maybe get a split. And who knows if the hockey gods were on their sides to get two wins to go back to Boston with a chance to win that series. Not the case. The Panthers have shown that they are not ready for this stage, not ready for prime time, no matter how hot they concluded this regular season to get into the playoffs. And the Bruins are showing why their regular season, a record-breaking one at that, has been no fluke to date. So with the Panthers who are trying to piecemeal it together, especially in goal, you saw Sergei Bobrovsky in there, and that's the last guy you want to see in net, especially if you're a Panther fan. So the Bruins are in good stead to win this series in five as the series will go back to Beantown and see if they can close out the Panthers on home ice. Number two is the Islanders. And even after that tough game two loss where they had a 3-2 lead in the third, then it was tied and we know about the overtime there. Scott Mayfield, the high stick that he suffered right at, right before the goal that was scored by Jesper Fast in overtime. Well, Game 3, they were able to play a nip-tuck game until late in the third where they scored 4 goals in a 2 minute and 18 second span. The fastest in NHL history. So the Islanders had a lot of fuel to head into the game there on Sunday where they were trying to get the equalizer in the series being up 2-1 or excuse me, down 2-1 and trying to get even. And I mentioned this on Thursday's podcast and it rings true. When you have a game like that, now granted, It was tight throughout and then they were able to go ahead, get that barrage and win a game three. But the turnaround time from about what? 9.45, 10 o'clock on Friday night to 1 o'clock on Sunday. And I get it. The Hurricanes also have to play with the same parameters of the quick turnaround. Mind you, they're up 2-1 in the series. And then yesterday, pretty much right out of the bat, Two early penalties, which led to a power play goal 
in the first period. And then the Hurricanes got another goal there on the power play in the second period. Next thing you know, it was 3-0 going into the third. And the Islanders, who came out hot as a pistol in that first period, even though down 1-0 with nine shots on goal in the first roughly 10 minutes of the game, meekly went throughout the afternoon and where they tacked on a couple of goals late. It was actually 4-0 before the Islanders were able to get on the board. And then they end up losing 5-2 in what was just a flat performance by a team that was trying to ride the wave of Friday night and that late flurry of all those goals there to win the game. And now the Islanders are on the ropes here, down three games to one as they go to Carolina to play a game five tomorrow night. Can the Islanders push this series to a sixth game? I don't know if they're going to. I really don't. Because they have not been able to get some contributions from some players there. In particular, I don't want to just pick on him, but Jean-Gabriel Pajot, he's a guy that was brought in from Ottawa to provide some goal scoring, and he has been nowhere to be found. And I understand that we're not confusing him with Mike Bossy by any stretch, but when your offense is pretty much Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, Matthew Barzal, and we get it, you can't have a thousand goal scorers on your team, but you need to get some contributions from your key players, and that's what the Islanders have not been able to do so here, and especially with him, from, I would say, even going back to his first full year here, the year of the bubble, he did very well, performed well, and we know he's a very scrappy player, very quick, but Peugeot has not been the answer there offensively. And I don't know what the Islanders are going to do here. I'm sure Carolina, they're going to try to blitz the Islanders out of the building to try to get them to play from behind for the most part and not keep the Islanders in the game. We've seen Carolina meltdown at home like we saw last year in a Game 7 against the Rangers, but this isn't a Game 7, it's a Game 5. So I would think that the... Hurricanes will take care of business there tomorrow night and put the Islanders out in their misery for a season that should have been a little bit better. And I get it. I'm not going to put the epitaph on them. I'll save that for Thursday's podcast if they don't make it out alive come tomorrow night. And then lastly, I got to talk about this Kings-Oilers series, which is becoming an instant classic. When you have three of the first four games go into overtime, and then you had the comeback by the Kings in Game 1 where they were down 2-0 in 3-1 and then win in overtime. And then the Oilers returned the favor after losing on Friday night where the Edmonton Oilers had their, I won't say backs against the wall, but were now facing a little bit of pressure. And last night, they were down 3-0 in the first period and you probably thought at that point, oh boy, the Kings have all of the momentum, firepower, the building, Not to say that Kings fans are going to be confused with any fans of the Northeast, but you would have thought that Edmonton, this would have been their time to wilt. And as it was, they bounced back nicely with three goals in the second period of their own. And then fast forward to the overtime because Zach Hyman is your hero as the Oilers were able to pull out a much-needed win. They did not want to go back to Edmonton down 3-1. And as it is, the series is even. Best of three at this very moment. And for the Oilers... And Leon Dreisaitl has had a phenomenal series. Connor McDavid had three assists in the game last night. And as for the Oilers, I mentioned that this was a team that had a chance to go two and win a Stanley Cup. And they faced a little bit of adversity here after that Game 3 loss. But here they are, tied, and let's see what they could do to try to get themselves to a position where they could go up 3-2 and maybe close out a series in L.A. and avoid them having to 
be on the brink as far as the season goes in a game six or let's say in a do or die game seven. So we will continue to monitor that. And in Dallas and Minnesota yesterday, the Stars were able to come out on top. They won 3-2 after losing in Minnesota in a game number 3-5-1. So that series is even at two. And I picked a wild to win in seven as the scene shifts to Dallas. So I'll continue to monitor that series. And as far as the other 2-1 series that head into tonight, here locally, Rangers-Devils. Now the Devils breathe some life as they got back into the series thanks to Dougie Hamilton's overtime goal. And even with a change in net as they took out Vitek Vanacek and they brought in a kid that I've never seen play before in a one, Akira Schmid. And that was a highly gutsy move by Coach Lindy Ruff of the Devils by pulling his starting goalie who had been awful, giving up five goals in each of the first two games and to bring in a kid who, let's face it, nobody's ever heard of. If he would have fell on me, I couldn't have tell you who this guy was. But for him to... I won't go as far as saying stand on his head, but he had a game that was a season saver for the Devils as they were able to prevail and see what they could do tonight as they will have a game four at Madison Square Garden. Whether or not the Rangers will go up 3-1 or the Devils get the equalizer, we shall see. But at least they have some just feel good and at least to go into this game knowing that they have a shot to go back to Jersey, tie the two and see if they could turn the tables on home ice in that regard. Then you also have Tampa and Toronto where the Maple Leafs were really up against it. They were down 3-2 there late in game number three and you even had a, I don't want to say a brawl, but you had some fisticuffs there between Steven Stamkos and Austin Matthews where there was a hard check into the boards. Braden Point, who looked like he suffered an injury to the midsection, but you had a skirmish go out between those two players, which is rarely seen. I know Stamkos, he could get involved from time to time. When it comes to fighting, Austin Matthews, not the case, as he pretty much had his gloves on throughout the course of the melee. But the Maple Leafs were able to get a goal with 32 seconds to go by Ryan O'Reilly, a guy that they got at the deadline. And then won in an overtime by Morgan Riley, which was enormous because as we've talked about with the Maple Leafs, this is a series that they have to, must get out alive by any means necessary. And if they would have lost that game... They would have been down 2-1 and the doubt would have crept in and would have had to win a pivotal game four before going back to Toronto. This is not to say that they could put their feet up and say, okay, we are playing with house money going into this game four tonight. But at least they don't have to worry about having to go down 3-1 or having to really scrap, battle, and fight. And that should not be the mentality. I will say that if you're a Maple Leaf player, coach, the organization, and especially a fan. Because at this point... They have to do whatever's necessary to put the clamps down on this Tampa Bay team. Now, as we know, even if they go up 3-1, that doesn't mean let's start the coronation in Toronto for Game 5. Because we could see this going seven games based on the opponent that they're playing. Granted that they're a little beaten, battered, and scarred because Victor Hedman, he's not 100%. And now we got to wait to see what's going to happen with Braden Point, who has had a multitude of injuries throughout the course of this regular season. So who knows if this could be the beginning of the end for the Lightning not getting out of a first round for the first time in four years. So that we'll have to continue to keep an eye on. Then you have Seattle and Colorado where the Avalanche took a 2-1 series lead up in the Pacific Northwest. That was a scene to behold, but the Avalanche put a stop to that, winning convincingly. And now let's see if the Kraken, whatever they have left, 
as far as what they've built throughout the course of the season, getting into the playoffs for the first time. Do they have what it takes to at least even the series or will Colorado just put their entire championship fingerprints on a game four where they'll try to close it out in a game five winning tonight in that climate pledge arena in downtown Seattle. And then you had Winnipeg and Vegas. Now that was a tough loss for the Jets there the other night. They were down 4-1 into the third period. They got three goals, including a goal late in the third period, which pushed the game into overtime. But Vegas was able to get the win. And if Winnipeg would have won that game, you wonder the psyche of the Golden Knights. Top seed have played pretty much well the, the entire year, considering their lofty status out west. And unfortunately, they weren't able to get the game to take a 2-1 series lead as Vegas now is in the driver's seat to see if they could go up 3-1 before going back home. Or will the Jets have enough to see if they could pull themselves together even after trailing the way they did and for them to come back in that fashion. Now, we'll see what they have left going into this game four tonight to see if they could even the series at two. So... Just like I mentioned with the NBA, not a lot of drama. And here in the NHL, even if you get two series tonight that get evened up, you will have at least four series that could go up six games and beyond. And maybe even three. And last year, I believe in the first round, you saw three game sevens. Pittsburgh and the Rangers was the first one at the top of my head. I think you had a couple others, one out west and maybe another in the east, deluding me at this point. But... Let's see what the NHL is going to do as an encore tonight with what had taken place. Not necessarily yesterday because the only big game you had was Edmonton and LA. The eye on the game was pretty much over after the second period. And same for the Bruins and Panthers. You did have Dallas and Minnesota was kind of nip and tuck, but Dallas was pretty much in control. They had a 3-1 lead late before the Wild made it 3-2. So let's see. Both of these series in the middle of their first rounds are getting toward the end in the NBA. And when we get together there on Thursday, we will reevaluate all that has taken place in hopes for the NBA to get a couple of game fives with the series tied at two in Memphis, NLA, Milwaukee, Miami. And let's see what the NHL will provide as we get deeper into this week. Now let's lace up the cleats, put on the batting gloves, and get into the on-deck circle as baseball will now be discussed. And don't look now, but in the NL Central, there's a team that is in first place that I believe the last time this team was in first place this late in the season, and we're not even a month into the season. You have to go back 31 years, and that is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And kudos to them. They are currently, by a half game, I understand it's the slimmest of margins, but they are a half game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. They are winners of seven in a row. They gave an extension to the manager, Derek Shelton, and even with them losing O'Neill Cruz, if you recall, I talked about that a couple weeks back where he had a collision at home plate, fractured his ankle, is going to be out till mid-August, where this team, nine games over 500, as I mentioned, seven in a row, and can this team be a threat going into May? not even going to talk about the all-star break, the dog days of a pennant race in August, September, but can this team hang around? Well, I hate to throw cold water on that. You know, this is Jay Reels in a typical fashion. And why would I want to throw cold water on a pirate team is beyond me. And the only reason why I say that, and you have to remember this too, people, I'm rooting for the pirates big time. 
Why? I picked them as an over this year at 67 and a half. So right now, that is looking glorious. But as we all know, what is it? 23 games a season does not make. And they've already won 16, so they're almost a quarter of a way to cracking 67 and a half as an over. But back to the bucket of cold water. They've won seven in a row. They beat the Cardinals on the last game of the series last week. And the Cardinals haven't been world beaters either. They're 9-13. and 13. But since then, they have beaten the likes of the Colorado Rockies and the Cincinnati Reds. Rockies are 6-17. and 17. The Reds are 7-15. and 15. So therefore, we can look at this great start, and it is. You got to beat the teams in front of you. We said the same thing about Tampa Bay when they started off beating Detroit, the Washington Nationals, and the Oakland A's. So... This little underbelly of a schedule has propelled the Buccos to a seven-game winning streak and give them credit. Yeah, they could have won two out of three in each of these series and kept themselves in the mix or at least afloat here as we get to the end of April. But they are in first place. And at least they could say that here on the morning of April 24th. But the LA Dodgers come to town. And not to say that the Dodgers are a juggernaut of a team as they have been over the last few years and in particular last year when they won 111 games. But they are 12-11. and And they are an upgrade over the aforementioned Reds and Rockies. So with the Dodgers coming to town starting tomorrow after a day off, let's see how the Pirates match up against this Dodger team in which Mookie Betts played a game at shortstop over the weekend. So... One to keep an eye on as the Pirates, let's see how long this will last. And they do go to Washington over the weekend. So maybe if they can win two out of three and then go to Washington and do the same, they'll come out on top before having to go to Tampa next week. And that's where things may start to change there as far as their fortunes go. So that's the one thing I wanted to give them some props and some shine on their winning streak, the extension to Shelton, and what they've done here over the first three and a half weeks of the season. The other team that's firing on all cylinders are the Baltimore Orioles. They're winners of 6 straight and 10 of 12. Now, granted that the Rays, even after losing their first game, after winning the first 13, and losing 2 out of 3, and even 3 out of 4 in that stretch where they lost to Toronto and that one game in Cincinnati, they have righted the ship and won 5 in a row. So even with them being 4 games behind in the early portion of the season, but the Orioles now 14-7, and And playing like a team that looks like they're going to mean business this year. And if you recall, last year, right before the All-Star break, they were about eight games under 500. Then they took off with all that young talent, the Adley Rutschmans and the Gunnar Hendersons of the world. And here they are now after a bit of a slow start for them. As I mentioned, 10 of 12, 14 and 7, second place ahead of Toronto, the Yankees and the Red Sox in the American League East. So kudos to what the O's have done down there. And let's see if they can continue that pace this week. Let's see where they play. And the Orioles, a lot was expected from them this year based on that run. Actually, they're going to be hosting the Red Sox for three. So who knows? Maybe they could exact some, a little early season revenge. I know they had that bad loss where the left fielder dropped that pop-up. And they lost the back two after winning on opening day. So let's see if the Orioles have those short memories and get some payback there on their division rival Red Sox and then think about this the Yankees they lost their first series of the year to Toronto and both of them were 13 and 9 records and when I look at the AL East even with the Yankees tied for third that's not the big thing when we look at runs scored just in the division the Yankees are last 93 runs scored we know the Rays have been off and flying from the start of the year 
All the other teams have cracked 100. Even the Red Sox have 132 runs scored where the Rays are at 149. But the Yankees are at a paltry 93. Now granted, they've only given up 72 runs and a lot of that is Garrett Cole who got a no decision there the other day but has gotten off to a flying start. And Giancarlo Stanton who's on the IL for six weeks with a hamstring strain so that's going to hurt their offense big time. Or at least be a void for a big stick in the middle of that lineup. But that was surprising to see where the Yankees held as far as run scored in the division where they're usually in the tops in the sport or in the league and here they are really at the bottom of the division and middle of the pack when it comes to the American League. Also the Houston Astros, maybe they've gotten over their little World Series hangover this year. Now I know they're starting to get a little bit healthy as well, but with a sweep in Atlanta, thank you Houston Astros, And the Astros, who had a very good weekend down in Atlanta, I didn't really follow closely, but I believe a lot of those games were from come from behind fashion. So the Astros look to see if they can make a turn to their season where they're three games behind in the loss to the Texas Rangers, who are in first place at the moment. So let's see where they stand here as we get deeper into this week and the month. Also, considering those Braves who have been very well this year, 14-8, and but a half game ahead of the Mets right now, who lost the back two in San Francisco, and it would have been nice to get one more game out of this trip because a 7-3 West Coast trip, I get it three in Oakland, which anybody's going to win, and I'll talk about them in a second. But for the Mets to not be able to get another series victory under their belt, but still, 7-3 on the West Coast is great. 8-2 and two would have been nice. But they have a day off, and they'll have the Nationals and the Braves come into City Field this week, which will be an interesting test early on, especially with the Braves coming to New York for the first of only two series. Remember, you don't have the unbalanced schedule anymore, so that's going to be a very good series and one that I'm sure the Met fan would like to see where they measure up against the Braves in this early part of the season. You also have, I mentioned the Pirates and Brewers. They're separated by a half game there in the Central. The West is a log jam there at the top between the Diamondbacks, Dodgers, and Padres. They're all separated by a half game when you think about it. Arizona and LA tied at the top of the division. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., we talked about this the other day, hit a home run in this third game back in a Padre uniform as the Padres won the back two of that series. Really, they split those games, I believe. Let me just take a look at that. As they had four games in Arizona. So the Padres with Tatis back in the fold. And not knowing how he did defensively. But the Padres did win 3 out of 4 in the desert. So, like I mentioned. Tied at the top there. Or really a half game back. With the Diamondbacks, Dodgers, and Padres. All behind a razor thin half game. And then the Oakland A's. I bring them up for two reasons. One, you look at their record. And they are 4-18. and 18, A team that is going nowhere fast. A team that could lose and maybe, dare I even say, threaten the 62 Mets for the worst record of all time. It's likely. If you do the math, 4-18, and 18, well, they're probably going to surpass it. But it'll be interesting to see whether or not they win 45 games this year. Because the over-under number, I believe, was what, 59.5? They are going to win that by a landslide. So the A's, they can't get out of Oakland fast enough. But there is a glimmer of hope. A team out in Las Vegas has purchased some land to where they're going to build a facility for the A's. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of machinations that are going to take place between 
now and then breaking ground on this site, which I believe is supposed to be a mile from Allegiant Stadium. So for the franchise that has had some success over the last half decade or so, they have made it to the playoffs, they have won wild card series and lost wild card series to the Yankees and Rays in back-to-back years, but also made it to the playoffs in 2020. So it's not as if this team has not sniffed the playoffs in a couple of decades. This is a team that has played pretty well in the regular season. But now it is time to cut bait. It is time to jump ship. It is time to get Oakland the hell out of the Bay Area. Sad to say. And it looks like a move to Las Vegas is on the horizon. And it probably couldn't happen any faster if you're an A's fan. And sad to hear about the fans out in Oakland saying that they've been disappointed where the Raiders left. The Warriors went to the other side of the Bay. And now it looks like the A's are going to follow the Raiders to where they're going to play, like I said, within a stone's throw from Allegiant Stadium. And they can only blame but themselves. And I understand you could also look at the hierarchy there, the ownership of trying to keep them there at that Howard's Terminal right there by the water. But they got to get out of Oakland. If all these other teams have been able to get better deals or have better facilities, then so be it. And it looks like the A's, maybe in the next four years, and I believe the lease is done after this year, but I'm sure they'll work something out. And I would sincerely doubt that if all else fails, I mean, what else are they going to do? They're going to play in some minor league park outside of Oakland? I don't think so. So that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on as far as whether or not the ownership of the A's is going to look at Las Vegas, despite the fact that Las Vegas, like I said, they already have... A plan in place, they already have land that was purchased, and let's see if they're going to break ground on that at any point soon. So the A's may be looking a little bit east into the desert to see whether or not that they will pick up their operations and play in Sin City over the course of the next half decade. Sad. I mean, what could you say? But this is what it's come to, not only just for any of the Oakland teams that have left, but especially the A's, and how they have fallen on hard times. Let me get to a couple of quickies before I sign off. The first one being the NFL, and the draft is on Thursday. Everybody's going to be pumped up. Everybody's going to be geeked up. You're going to see the overhead shots, the drone shots, where if the weather is going to be nice, and even if it's not, you're going to see throngs of NFL fans there in Kansas City, the home of the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. As we get set for another round and seven of those, the first round being Thursday, two and three on Friday and four to seven on Saturday. And I'll talk more about that on the podcast Thursday. But the one thing I want to say heading into the midweek extravaganza is the situations of Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. And the only reason why I bring that up is that going to be the two storylines that's going to swallow the draft. Not only heading into it, but maybe even overtaking the draft on a whole. And I say that because, maybe not more so for Rodgers, only because it's probably going to be a formality that Rodgers will be traded to the Jets. But I'm sure you're going to hear rumors or maybe some scuttlebutt on what the package may be. Or if there is going to be a falling out or any type of behind the scenes rumors or reports that we don't really know about. That could either bubble to the surface to where a trade is imminent or both sides are far apart. And in the case of Lamar Jackson, knowing that he doesn't have many suitors left, knowing that 
if there's going to be a team that is going to try to procure the services of Lamar Jackson, and there's only, off the top of my head, two. And one is in flux because the commanders look like they're going to be sold to the group that's led by Josh Harris, who owns the Sixers and Devils, and Magic Johnson is a part of that group as well. But by the time that's finalized, it may not be until after the draft, maybe sometime next month. So there's no way that a transaction is going to take place for Lamar Jackson leading into the draft. And maybe even the Jets for that matter, if things start to fall apart with the Aaron Rodgers package that the Jets will look to put forth for the Packers to see if they'll be willing to bite on that. But you have no other teams out there. It's not as if the Colts, and I talked about this, was it, a week or 10 days ago, they're not going to nibble on whether Lamar Jackson, if there's any interest of bringing him to Baltimore. And why would that franchise even flirt with the idea of bringing Jackson in, considering that was the former Baltimore Colts in that area, and I talked about it then, where karma, that's going to strike them in the ass to try to bring in that quarterback who's had two seasons, the last two, not being finished, being hurt, and to bring him in for all that money guaranteed and give up two first-round picks in back-to-back years, I wouldn't do it. But who knows whether or not a team, an owner, organization is going to pop up at the 11th hour right before the draft to say, oh, we got some rumblings on Lamar Jackson going to X team or Y team or Z team. So that's just something I'm bringing up now because as we get into tomorrow, Wednesday, and especially Thursday, will these start to percolate between the Rodgers camp and Jackson camp to see if it would swallow the draft on a whole. So that's something to keep in mind. And then lastly, I was thinking about this Saturday. The last fight that I think I watched from start to finish, and I'm talking about boxing, not MMA, was in Yankee Stadium, June 5th, 2010, where I was actually a part of, and thankfully and graciously had gotten press credentials for a fight between Miguel Cotto and Yuli Foreman, and where Cotto won in the ninth round, I believe, and Foreman, who suffered a knee injury and was hobbling around, and Cotto ended up prevailing at the end. But for me, who has been so distanced from the fight game, who, even if it was in my backyard, I'd probably draw the blinds. But when I caught wind of this fight, thinking that it was going to be this weekend, this coming weekend, and not this past weekend, and knowing that Gervonta Davis, Ryan Garcia, was on the radar for April 22nd, I talked about this on the podcast. I said, I got to watch this. Because Davis, as we all know, going into the fight, 28-0, 26 knockouts, and Garcia, 23 excuse me, and oh, 19 knockouts. This was not a championship fight by any means, but it was a fight that Oscar De La Hoya stated was going to save boxing. And what I came away with in watching that fight, A, was underwhelmed and unimpressed. I get it. It's just one fight. I can't base what I saw in seven rounds to think that this is the end-all, be-all for these two guys. But... One more time. I know Javante Davis in the second round got that left hook right on flush on the chin of Ryan Garcia who went down but got right back up. Wasn't dazed. Wasn't buzzed. Nothing. He came up pretty quickly. Gloves up. Was ready to go. And kudos to him for that. And from that point on, I thought Davis controlled the fight. He won those middle rounds from two to six. I even get that 
after that first round, which I thought Garcia won. And even with him coming out in that flurry there in the second round before he got knocked down, I thought he was a little bit too aggressive. I thought maybe he got to a point where he was going to try to ambush him and then that failed as we saw him hitting the canvas. But then in the seventh round where I thought Garcia came out of that sixth round victorious and then took that shot to the right breast or maybe even to the ribcage to where he backpedaled, went down on one knee and then the fight was stopped. Now the referee, I don't know what the hell he was counting because I get it that once Garcia took a knee in his corner, I would think that maybe three seconds had elapsed. But the next thing you know, as he went down on one knee and he looked to see the referee, looked to see where Davis was and then fixated on Garcia to where he went down on one knee and all of a sudden I see him starting to count at seven. I said, what happened in the first four or five seconds? And I get it, he was down for a few seconds, but he picked up his count at seven for whatever the reason. So before even Garcia could gather himself, and I get it, he probably wasn't going to get up. I don't know if that was just a thing that maybe his corner told him to stay down. I don't know if that was a situation where he was so winded that if he got up, he probably would have been laid out for the count and avoided embarrassment. Who knows? We'll never know that. He'll never admit it. But fight stopped. Davis wins. He's now 29-0 with 27 knockouts. And Garcia has a blemish on his record. Will we see these guys again? Who knows? Now, remember, Garcia's a guy who fights more at 140 and he had to come down to 135 here. I'm not going to say that that was the difference between Davis winning and Garcia losing, but it's something to just to keep in mind. But one more time, all the hype leading up to this fight was lackluster, to say the least. And for the announcers, I don't even know who these guys were. I know Al Bernstein, he's been there forever. I get that. But for, to all of a sudden put Gervonta Davis, the face of boxing after this win. And again, I wasn't really impressed. And he was smart to keep his right arm out to avoid getting jabbed all night. And that was something that Garcia probably should have taken advantage of knowing that he was going to stick out that jab. He didn't have the reach. He didn't have the height advantage. Against Garcia, Garcia's 5'11", Tank Davis is 5'5". And the reach was considerable as well. So he used that to his advantage to not have Garcia get any jabs come across throughout the course of the first six to seven rounds of the fight. But I didn't see anything that was... I was overly impressed by what Davis did. And I understand there was a feel-out process in those first rounds even after knocking him down in the second round. But yeah, I came away with... Wanting and needing more. And I get it that they were jumping up and down. The pom-poms were out for Tank Davis, etc. But please, you're not fooling this sports fan. And I may have been away from boxing for 12 years, but I know enough to see what I saw. And yeah, he won the fight. And clearly, by knockout. But face a boxing, especially in a sport that has literally been on life support for, like I mentioned, the last dozen years. And is there anybody near his class or around this class that I can look at and say, oh, he still has to fight this guy, that guy. Oh, no, that is a competitive and loaded weight class or divisions, etc. Now, I understand I may not be on top of it, but trust me, as a sports fan, I keep my radar up for anything that comes through when it, as far as up-and-coming fighters, guys that are on the radar, guys that are maybe in contention. And I haven't heard or seen of anybody that is going to 
even upset that apple cart if Javonde Davis is going to be a face of boxing when he's going to fight who? A bunch of tomato cans? And even with all of his unblemished record, etc., who are these guys that he fought leading up to this fight with Ryan Garcia? Has he fought some top contenders? Has he fought guys that have been in the mix as far as being up-and-coming fighters in the sport? Listen, I get it. Ice water all over this, but I'm calling it as I see it. And I'm sure a lot of people will also attest to that, knowing that, not to knock the kid, he's got ability, he has a chance to be something special, but until there are other guys, like I mentioned, in those divisions, those classes, etc., that could really compete and have a desire and hunger to go toe-to-toe or really even outlast Tank Davis when it comes to a 12-round bout, then I'm just going to have to continue to sit idly by and wait to see who that guy or guys are that are going to be in contention or at least put up a big fight to see whether or not Javante Davis is going to be that quote-unquote face of boxing. Because I don't think a Marvin Hagler, a Thomas Hearns, Sugar Ray Leonard, or Roberto Duran are going to walk through those ropes and into the ring anytime soon to battle and really give all that what Tank Davis is going to have to handle here over the course of not only just these next few months, but for the years to come. So we shall see. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much. I appreciate you stopping by, guys and gals, to listen to what it is they have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And as I say each and every week, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. That will increase the visibility of this podcast and go a long way. Take a screenshot. Hit me up on social media. Follow me at any of my social media platforms. And I'll segue to that right now. On YouTube, at J Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. Again, your participation is never taken for granted. Appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com. Slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% to this production, to the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. Because I want this experience coming into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers. Enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Sports has been pretty much my life. Eating, breathing, living, drinking, sleeping, digesting, divulging, regurgitating my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise, fire, passion, energy, fury on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South East, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>